Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. Every age throughout history has a different feeling to it. Every age throughout history has different characteristics that that tend to define it. And if you go back to the beginning of the 20th century, the early 1900s, there has never been a more greater feeling of optimism, a greater feeling of hope in the human condition uh, for hope for progress. All the blessings we just read in Proverbs 3, blessings of peace and prosperity, of long life and favor, These seem finally achievable, but not by the hands of God. You see, we thought it was achievable by the hands of man. But the 20th century, instead of ushering in this great age of world peace, turned out to be the most violent, destructive hundred years in human history. In fact, at the end of the 20th century, almost 187 million people had died just from wars alone. In 1983, the great Russian writer and thinker, Alexander Soshitsyn, was asked to give the Templeton Prize address. And in that address, he wanted to cover the question, what in the world has happened? How did we go from this great hope, this great optimism that everything is going to be so great, how did we go from that to what our world has turned out to be, destructive, violence, division? And here's what he said. Here's what he concluded of what had happened. He said, I have spent the last 50 years working on the history of our nation in Russia. In the process, I have read hundreds of books, collected hundreds of personal testimonies, and have even contributed eight volumes of my own. But if I were asked today what was the main cause of all this ruin that has swallowed up 60 million of our own people, I could not put it more simply than this. Men have forgotten God, and that's why all this has happened. What caused the ruin of the 20th century? This Russian writer thinks that we have forgotten God. And when you forget God, you start to slowly forget everything else that's important in life as well. My sermon title this morning, you see it in your order of worship, is supposed to be a little tongue-in-cheek. What has God to do with the Proverbs? And you should say, well, preacher, surely everything. Doesn't every book of the Bible have to do with God? But the danger with the Proverbs is the danger of what happened in the 20th century. We can forget there about God. We can, we can read the Proverbs sometimes like we read any other book. Good advice to take and leave based on if it makes your life better or happier. But like Mark said last week, the Proverbs are not just another book. They really are the Bible's smelling sauce to alert us back to life 
and most importantly, what a life with God is supposed to look like. So let's turn our attention there this morning. Three questions about our relationship with God, and I'll walk through these one by one. What's the foundation of our relationship? What's the focus of our relationship? And we'll end in what's the fruit of our relationship? So let's start with the foundation. What is the foundation of our relationship with God? Look at verse 1. Proverbs 3 starts out as a speech written from a father to a son that we now interpret as parents written to their children. That's the first nine chapters of Proverbs. It's all these speeches given from a father to a son. And he starts out in verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. And we have to ask the question, okay, where do these commandments come from? Where is their foundation? You see, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 are are perhaps the most popular verses in all the Proverbs. But verse 3 is the most important for actually setting things up for us. Look at verse 3. He tells us the foundation. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Did you notice the language that Solomon was using just took an interesting change? The words we read in verse 3 sound really strange to our modern ears. He doesn't just say, go do these things. He says, don't forsake them. He talks about binding something around your neck, writing something on the tablet of your heart. And Solomon wants us to understand something really important about God. With those words, Solomon starts using covenantal language. And the key here is those two words he uses in verse 3, steadfast love and faithfulness. Everywhere you see those two words in the Old Testament, it's speaking about how God relates to his people. It's the Hebrew word, that steadfast love is the Hebrew word hesed, which is the most important word in the Old Testament of God's covenantal love. I'll give you one illustration of this from the book of Exodus. So if you go back to Exodus God's people in Exodus 32 grew impatient with God being, meeting with Moses and not being with them. And so what did they do in their impatience? They crafted an idol that they could worship and control. They crafted the golden calf image. And, and Moses is interceding with God on his people's behalf. And in Exodus 33, he says this, God, please show me your glory. I really want to know you. I really want to see you. What we need the most is your presence. And God remarkably says, okay, okay, I will give you a glimpse of my glory, but you can't see it all. My glory is too magnificent. My holiness is too pure. My light is too bright. If you were to see it in its fullness, you would not be able to live. So God tells Moses to hide himself in a rock and he will pass before him And Moses doesn't get to see the fullness of God. He only gets a glimpse. And Exodus 34, 6, we get what that glimpse is. Exodus 34, 6 says this. The Lord passed before him, and here is what the Lord proclaimed. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And that's the key. It's hesed. It's that same word that Solomon uses in Proverbs 3, 4. Solomon is telling his son to let the covenantal love of the Lord guide your entire life. He is telling his son of how God relates to him. As God has bound himself to you, now go bind 
this love and faithfulness around your neck. Write it on the tablet of your heart. So what's the foundation of our relationship with God? How does God relate to us? Through his covenant. Through steadfast love and faithfulness. And this can be really hard to grasp. Because this is not how we relate to each other on a normal day-to-day basis. We don't relate to each other through covenants. We don't relate to each other through promises. And so oftentimes we can take our relationships and play them up to God. How we often relate to each other is through our mind needs being met. So we lay out our needs, we lay out their needs, and if the needs are being fulfilled, then we will continue the relationship. But as soon as the needs are not being met, we exit the relationship. But like Max said in the, in the first service, we, we had four new members join the church. And when they joined the church, they had not list out their needs. Here's the needs we want met. Here's the needs TCPC wants met. Okay, let's see if we can meet those. Now, what do we do? They made promises to us. And we, in turn, made promises back to them because we don't believe that they just joined the church. We believe that they're covenantal members along with us. This is how God relates to his people. He doesn't relate to us based on his needs being met. He has no needs. God relates to us based on his promises. Maybe this story will help. There's a book actually entitled Promises Kept, and it tells the story of a guy named J. Robertson McQuilkin. And J. Robertson was the president of a Bible college in in, uh, America. He was a very successful president. He became a very famous speaker, especially around the world, speaking to the next generation about what it meant to follow Jesus. But one day he got a call that none of us want to ever receive, that his wife Muriel of 42 years had been at a routine doctor's appointment, and they discovered early signs of Alzheimer's. And so the next few months, this diagnosis started declining very quickly. And it became more and more clear that she needed him by her side full time. And so he had a decision to make. He had a successful career that he loved doing, but he had a wife whose health was in disarray. So what did he do? He left his job. He left his speaking to serve his wife at her bedside. And he was asked about this decision in his book. He was asked whether it was hard to give up his career for his wife. And he said, yes, of course, in some ways it was hard to get my career. I loved my students. I loved the work I was getting to do. But he said, on the other hand, it wasn't hard at all because it was a decision that he had already made 42 years prior. It was a decision he had already made 42 years ago when he stood across from his wife and he made a promise not just to love her in health, but also in sickness. And so he said, now I get to spend the rest of my life just fulfilling my vows to her. Do you know that's how God loves you? I asked Nate Jones this past fall to teach in the Bridge Sunday School class. And he said, what should I teach on? I was like, Nate, you've got a lot of wisdom. Just teach on something that you wish you would have known when you were younger. What do you think you should have known when you were a younger man in your 20s and 30s? What you wish you would have known. Do you know what his first week was on? Do you know the first topic he chose? Here it is. He said, I wish I would have known how God felt about me. You see, Nate grew up like me, like a lot of us. He grew up knowing that God existed, but he did not know how God felt about him. He did not know how God related to him, and that caused all sorts of problems in his life. Always thinking that he was guilty, always thinking that God loved everyone but him. And so Nate, like Solomon in this passage, 
He doesn't want us to forget how God relates to us. So he tells us to bind it around our neck, write it on the tablet of your heart. So I'm not as wise as Nate. I'm definitely not as old as Nate. (laughs) But I will speak on behalf of Nate. Do you know that the same God that made heaven and earth has also made vows to you? Before you were born, before you earned any degree, before you built a family or had a career, before you ever failed or succeeded, God set his steadfast love upon you and called you his. You see these vows all throughout the Bible when you read them. God is telling his people over and over again, I will be your God and you will be my people. And we did not fulfill those vows, but Jesus sure did. That's how faithful God is that Jesus would die on the cross for us before God would break his promises to his people. That's how committed he is to you. So what do you do with that? What do you do with a God that relates to you in this way, full of steadfast love and faithfulness? That's the foundation of our relationship. Now let's look at the focus. If that's how God relates to us, how then should we relate back to this God? Notice the pattern in verse three, in, in Proverbs 3. All the odd number verses, so 1, 3, 5, 7, those are all commands of the covenant. And all the even number verses, 2, 4, 6, 8, those are all the blessings of the covenant. So just an example, verse 3, the command, don't let steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. The blessing, verse 4, you will find favor and good success. And all of this is setting up how we are supposed to relate to God. And you see it in those odd verses in 5, 7, 9, 11. See how much the Lord's name is used. Verse 5, trust in the Lord. Verse 7, fear the Lord. Verse 9, honor the Lord. Verse 11, do not despise the Lord. All these commands are not just loose commands. Just go do this in isolation. They're all used in relation to God. Because this is how we're supposed to relate to him. And the most important one in that bunch, we can't go through all of those, even though they all be worth our time. The, the one that's more all-encompassing, the one that Proverbs is actually mostly about, is the fear of the Lord in verse 7. And if you read through Proverbs this summer, you'll notice that little phrase pops up everywhere. The fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. It's the golden thread holding it all together. In fact, last week, Proverbs 1-7, arguably the theme verse of the Proverbs is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Solomon is telling us, this is the focus of our relationship with God. How should you relate to God? Through fear. But what does that mean? (laughs) Just like covenant, we're going to have to do some work with this word fear. Because when we think about fear, we only think about it in a negative way. So we can't imagine in our minds how fear can be a good thing in a good relationship with God. So when you hear about the fear of the Lord, you often hear people dismissing it or trying to explain it away. So you'll hear things like, well, the fear of the Lord doesn't really mean fear. It's more like respect. But it's deeper than respect, so maybe it's kind of like awe. You're supposed to be in awe of the Lord. But it's more personal than awe, so it might be like intimacy, but it's supposed to be more than intimacy. And the fear of the Lord dies the death of a thousand deaths. We're always trying to explain it away. But notice that Solomon here in chapter 3, he's not embarrassed by the fear of the Lord. In fact, he says it's essential to your life. When the Proverbs talk about the fear of the Lord, they mean fear. So what does that mean? Spurgeon said it best. He says, right fear falls on its face before God, but when you fall, you always fall toward the Lord. 
That's what the proverbs are telling us. Fear the Lord means fear. It means trembling before God Almighty. But when you fall, you fall towards him, not away from him. And we realize that because of verse 11 and 12 helps us. Verse 11 and 12 frames this whole conversation like a father's love toward a son. The fear of the Lord is not like a slave. It's like a son. A slave is obedient to his master, but not because he loves his master. He fears the punishment. He fears the wicked response. So he obeys to stay out of trouble, not for the sake of the relationship. But a good father and son relationship is totally different. A son obeys because he loves the father. His fear is not punishment. His fear is displeasing the one he loves so much. He obeys for the sake of the relationship. And this really starts to make sense when you, when you see different people encounter the living God throughout Scripture. We even read it in 1 Corinthians in the New Testament reading. 1 Corinthians told us that no one boasts in the presence of the Lord. Whenever someone encounters the presence of God in Scripture, more than anything else, it's described that they tremble. And like fear, you can tremble in both positive and negative ways. A soldier that gets dropped on the battlefield for the first time, they're probably trembling. But you know who else also trembles? When a groom sees his bride for the first time come down the aisle. And that's the connection you need to make of how God relates to us and how we relate to God. How the covenant love of the Lord relates to the fear of the Lord. In the past year, I've gotten to officiate a few weddings. And when you officiate a wedding, you get the unique privilege, for better or for worse, you're right there with the couple. So you're in all the pictures, you're in all the awkwardness, you're in, you're in all that. But you do get a unique perspective. You see a couple things that not everyone gets to see because you are right there. And this surprised me at first, but it shouldn't have. It never fails. Toward the end of the wedding, when the couple starts to say vows to each other, they always start trembling. Their voice starts to crack. Their bodies sway back and forth like mine does behind the pulpit. Usually they can't at first get the ring on each other's finger because their hands are shaking too much. Why? They are committing themselves to a love that's bigger than their life. They are not afraid of each other. They are absolutely overwhelmed by each other. They are entering into a relationship that's no longer about their needs, but it's about their promises. And when you enter into a relationship like that, you tremble. And this is exactly why Proverbs doesn't make its focus wisdom, even though that's what we typically think. The focus of Proverbs is the fear of the Lord. Because it's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is our overall posture towards God that will lead to all other things. It will lead us to trust Him more, not ourselves. It will lead us to honor Him with our wealth and our finances and our resources It will lead us to not despise the day of suffering because we know a good father disciplines his children with his love. This is the focus of our relationship. This right fear of the love of the Lord awakens our hearts to everything else we need in life. So we've seen the foundation of our relationship, God's covenant of love. We've seen the focus of our relationship, the fear of the Lord. Now let's look at the fruit. Where does all this lead? The fruit of the covenant is always blessing. A restored relationship with God leads to restoration in all other areas. And I won't spend a ton of time on this point 
because we'll spend the rest of our sermon series on Proverbs fleshing this out. How a, a restored relationship with God restores your relationship with yourself. It restores your relationship with other people. It even restores your relationship with creation. You see it there in the, in the even verses of Proverbs 3. It says, all-encompassing flourishing. There's length of days, years of life, there's peace, there's favor, there's healing, there's refreshment. Barns are filled and vast bursts with wine. Solomon is talking about flourishing in every single aspect of our lives in this world. And this is because wisdom in the Bible is not necessarily tied to more information. Wisdom is not about getting more information to make our lives easier, to make us smarter. Wisdom is always tied to righteousness. The wisdom of Proverbs is for right living, which in turn should make the world right. And I say should on purpose. Because if you look at these verses, it can be easy to get discouraged, doesn't it? You look at these verses, you look at all these blessings, and you think, my life doesn't look like that. My world definitely doesn't look like that. I'm not experiencing these blessings. I feel like I'm experiencing the curses. The righteous are suffering. The wicked are prospering. How do these blessings line up with the life that I live? What happens if you're living in the fear of the Lord? What happens if you're trying to trust Him and life gets, life gets worse, not necessarily better? This is going to be really essential to understanding Proverbs throughout the summer Proverbs don't speak to how the world is. They speak to how the world should be. Proverbs is God's plan for straight paths. He has created an ordered world. And in that ordered world, in that perfect world, if you live according to it, things should go well. But the fall and sin has disordered everything. Sometimes the wicked do triumph. Sometimes the righteous suffer. And that's why we really need the rest of the Bible. You really need the other books of wisdom literature because sometimes your life does not feel like a straight path. It feels like a maze that you're caught in, you're confused, and you need Ecclesiastes. Sometimes the, the Bible, sometimes your life doesn't feel like a straight path. It feels like you fell into a dark pit and you can't get out. You really need the book of Job. Sometimes you don't know how to feel, and that's where Psalms comes in pretty handy. What Proverbs is going to do for us, though, every week, and it's so important for our souls, it continues to tell us this is how life should be. And not only that, this is your hope. It's not only how life should be, but it's how life will be one day. You know, the early church was often mocked for their beliefs. They were insulted over and over and over again. And one of the biggest insults they received was, hey, you you believe in this resurrected Savior, right? You believe in this God that supposedly defeated the grave and death? Then why are all you Christians dying? If you believe in a resurrected Savior, why are you all not resurrected? You know what their response to that was? Just wait. Because God is not done with this world. Jesus came the first time to make us us new, and he's coming again to make all things new. And that's what the Proverbs point us to. This is how life is meant to be. And this is how life will be one day. So what are you to do in the middle? What are you to do as you wait? In seminary, me and Mac took a class on evangelism. 
And we went to uh, this class, and our, our kind of our, our hope for this class, I think, because a lot of us were in ministry, we were around a lot of people, we wanted them to know about Jesus. We kind of came down there to learn some better techniques, some better strategies, some better me- methods. We just wanted to know, how do we get better at this thing? <laughs> what, what do we do? And so we came to class that first day, excited to learn about these new methods and, and techniques. And our professor spent that whole week just talking about how big God was. And we, we got what he was doing. We understand you're a professor at a seminary. You've got to talk about God somewhat. But when are you going to get to the practicals? When are you going to get to what we actually need to do? And so on the last day Friday, someone finally got the courage to ask him, hey, so when you actually do share the gospel with somebody, what, what do you tell them? And our professor responded, I just tell them about this God we've been talking about all week. And we're like, oh, okay. Uh, well, what do you do then? <laughs> what, what do you do after you tell them about this God that we've been talking about this week? And he says, I just ask them to pray and ask God to help them understand this. You see, we came looking for new techniques to learn how to do our ministry better. And our professor wanted us to tremble before the living God. Because he knew the most important part of evangelism, the most important part of the Christian life, is not learning new techniques. It's trembling. My classmates' question that, that afternoon is probably your question in some form this morning. We all have something in our lives, and if you take time right now, you could even think about it. We all have something in our lives where we're asking, God, what do I do here? I need you to tell me what to do. What should I do about my kids? What should I do about my job? What do I do about this situation I'm in? What do I do about this sin I'm struggling with? What do I do about this suffering that is overwhelming me? We just want to know what to do. And do you know what a lot of highly accomplished, highly achieving people like yourself do when they don't know what to do? They get really troubled. Their heart becomes a mess. They get really busy with activity, trying to figure it out on their own. Or they get despairing, saying, I, I, don't, I can't do anything. We're so troubled by so many different things. And this week, would you listen to Proverbs 3 and exchange your troubling and tremble? Would you let all those I don't knows in your life drive you not to despair, but to your Savior? Because it's interesting. When you start to tremble before God, you don't really get the answers you're looking for. You don't get all your problems figured out. But what you do get is God. And you realize the whole time, that's exactly what I needed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for this table. Thank you that you have not left us to ourselves, but you promise your love to us and you feed us each and every single week. So I pray that you would do that right now, that you communicate your love to your people through this meal and that we proclaim your death until you come. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.